I Ran the Bank is a podcast hosted by Clayton Weir, co-founder and head of product and strategy at Fispan, a fintech that is enabling banks to provide contextualized, consumer-like experiences to their business clients. Clayton is a leading thought leader in financial innovation and hits on the hottest topics in banking, finance, and the future of payments. And he wants to know, if you ran the bank, what's the one thing you'd go all in on? Please tune into Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's your host, Clayton Weir. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of If I Ran the Bank. I'm your host, Clayton Weir. This week, I'm super excited to have um, I have a personal friend of mine, David Pike, as a guest. I first met him a couple of years ago um, when he was still um, sort of running a bank. I guess it's the, one of the largest banks in, in Australia at the time. And now since retail merchant paying clearing infrastructure, I guess, or at least that's the organization we're for in Australia. You want to give me a little bit more color about what you're up to these days? Yeah. So um, when I met you, Clayton, um, I was working with for a large Australian bank, um, predominantly in the um, business bank building out um, payment channels um, and corporate internet banking channels. And I was exploring APIs um, with that bank. Um, I'm now um, working at FPOS, which is the equivalent of um, the Australian local debit card network. Um, It's very similar to Interact in North America, uh, where it has its own proprietary debit card, as well as being able to process the um, Visa and MasterCard debit card transactions. And my role there is um, head of APIs and new flows. So trying to build capability for the banks to do more merchant acquiring sort of um, innovation. Um, So there's a concept of uh, switch to acquire versus switch to issuer, which means um, rather than the merchant systems talking directly to the acquiring bank, they actually talk to the the switch. Um, It's more efficient, less costly because there's less systems involved. Um, but it effectively means the banks can outsource the acquiring processing um, to us, uh, but still keep the relationship for the customer. And we're also looking at building out new capabilities. So we're doing things like uh, deposit withdrawal messaging for ATMs um, and FPOS devices. So you can actually deposit money into your bank through a FPOS device, um, as well as um, enabling wallets to effectively transfer money from bank account to bank account through their cards. So it's um, very interesting stuff using card rails, which is not an area of my expertise, but I'm fast learning. Yeah, no, very interesting. And I think just as an extra layer of interesting context to your world, and I'm guessing you probably can't speak about it in in trans detail, but the next wave of this is that there's this, I guess it's pending merger between that, this kind of FPAWS acquiring kind of network program and the there's a unified bill pay interface right called bpay in australia and the equivalent of kind of the iso modern real-time uh rail you know i guess similar to kind of the clearinghouse real-time payments product in north america are all kind of proposed to be one one organization i guess in the future is that what what that announcement was about meant to be yeah, so the owners of FPOS, BPAY, and NPP, which are predominantly the banks and the retailers, decided that it didn't make sense to have three different entities potentially competing with each other um, and sort of a proposed a, uh, a new holding company that sits over the top of the three, sort of more align the roadmaps to develop better customer propositions using the technology of the three companies. Obviously, it's subject to um, the regulator approval 
um, if it does go ahead, it'll be really interesting because um, I think some of the things that I can't do in the cards rails by by the fact that um, you know, MPPA is real time clearing and settlement, you know, I can actually create new customer propositions with that um, for merchants, which will be really interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it strikes me as it would be really exciting as a product person to kind of have to be able to dig in all three of those toolboxes as you were designing solutions. Yep. Um, so on that note, I mean, why don't we kind of jump jump into the solution conversation? Um, and you you corrected me, so it's not just you know if you ran your own bank, but really specifically if you ran your own business bank, which we obviously love the business banking part of it on on this podcast. Um, Give us your pitch, Dave. What what would you do? What would you be all in on? Yeah, so um, my pitch would be um, really getting to know my business customers and looking at their processes around accounts payable, accounts receivable, payroll, um, collecting money from consumers, disbursements to consumers, and seeing where the pain points are in those processes and then designing my products to to be effectively embedded into those processes um, and solutions. And some of the key trends that are occurring is businesses are effectively now not buying software off the shelf and then installing in their own data center. They're effectively using cloud-based ERP or accounts payable solutions or payroll services or treasury management systems. And these systems that are really high rich in functionality and controls, um, separation of duties, aren't actually integrated with the customer's bank's accounts. And so I'd be looking at how would I get my products um, working with those systems such that, um, I'll give you an example like payroll. So companies, probably a 1,000 employees, effectively use an outsourced um, payroll provider um, or may use their accounting system to do payroll. Typically, they'll have a payments clerk. They'll then also have um, a finance or chief um, finance officer who will actually approve the payroll. Um, but they'll also have another person who actually takes the file out of one system, uploads it into the bank. And there's all these controls and risks that the customer needs to put in place to actually make sure that someone doesn't manipulate the file, pay the right person, the right amount on the right day and it's um, strange that the banks go yeah we're all about security and making you safe but they actually make the customer do all these things that aren't safe um, so there's there's things around files being manipulated to actually put new account numbers in or different amounts in files for payroll um, yet the banks basically force the customer to do this because they're not willing to integrate with payroll providers um, and they really only make this service available to the high end so through file transfer so i'd i'd be pitching my business bank to my customers saying hey i'd love to integrate my bank account and my payment solutions into the systems that you use so that you can do same fast seamless accurate payments um, and i'll make it really secure and then you don't need to worry about having four people do your payroll um, and so there's sorts of examples like that where there's lots of opportunities within business banking to sell the same service but distribute it differently and it's actually a win for the customer and a win for the bank. 
Um, and so they're the sorts of ideas that I would be pushing my um, product people to look at to go, how do we solve real customer business banking problems as opposed to how do we sell more product? No, it to- totally makes sense. And I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit biased. We have a similar worldview. So I think I think it's a really interesting point of conversation. So there's two things that strike me out of the gate, right? Because if I was just going to quickly paraphrase what you said, um, maybe add a couple of my own words. So clients are more and more like these businesses that you were trying to bank or do bank are reliant on this network of kind of cloud-based modern software tools to do, you know, payroll, their operational accounts, maybe a separate system for treasury. Maybe in certain cases it's, you know, one, maybe it's three or four tools, but the that the horse is out of the barn there, right? That that is growing. Number two is that there's this, I think that the idea which I would agree with is that banks kind of think of a product line out, right? I'm trying to sell this, you know, low value clearing payment product or whatever it is versus solving operational problems. And so bridging that gap. And then three is obviously this probably going to be biased. You need some layer of technology layer probably to do that um, or a product to facilitate that in the middle. So what's interesting though, is on those latter two, I mean, we could argue about what those cloud tools were all day and what the logos were, but I think most people could probably guess. In the other two buckets, it's really interesting, right? So in terms of what those operational pros, you know, those kind of pain points or jobs to be done for the clients, like you mentioned payroll, you mentioned a little bit about accounts payroll, like could you maybe expand on what you think the totality of those are? And then the second question we could come back to is, I mean, it strikes me as there's a lot of work a bank would have to do. Like surfacing those is one, maybe trying to design a, a process on paper on how to how you could solve that. But to actually execute that proposition strikes me as a lot of investment too. Yeah. So, so in terms of the software um, that the customer is using, I'd be looking at what is my customer basis and looking at what software they're planning to use or are using and would target the top five. Uh, I'd typically target my large corporate and government clients and then sort of, you know, your, your top 200 business clients because they're the ones who are probably the ones that are most valuable to you um, and probably appreciate the the streamlining controls because most businesses now with working from a home, you know, very much focused on security um, and controls and how do they actually streamline processes. Um, the, the second part of your question is, well, how would I integrate it? That's that's actually a really hard question because it's there's there's two two strategies. You can either try and build integrated, um, so you'd have to build APIs into your bank systems to effectively enable this integration with these cloud-based providers. Um, the question is, what's your distribution model? Do you actually try to build adapters into each of the clients' ERP and cloud-based systems um, and have them install it? And I suspect banks' IT budgets don't stretch that far um, to effectively build those adapters. Or you look to do partnership deals with those cloud providers to effectively distribute your product into um, those vendors. So, you know, your SAPs, your Oracles, your PeopleSoft Financials, um, Workday, those sorts of things. Um, or you, you find a partner who does that for you. I guess it's, you know, all three models would work it's it's a question of finding what's the right commercially viable model um because at some point you're going to have to do some revenue share to uh or share the cost somehow um of that integration um because 
it's not like build build this integration once. You've got to actually build it once and then maintain it for the life of that um, particular software that you integrate with. So um, that that I think is probably the more challenging question. Um, and if I had the answer, um, I'd be running the bank. You'd be running the bank. Totally makes sense. But I think it doesn't it. Your question, I mean, that question raises a, a couple questions, and I maybe save the one, but I'll start there. Do you think in your world with your bank that maybe the business model changes somehow, right? If you're not thinking of this kind of P times V, like, oh, it's a thousand, you know, backs items I processed for you, and that's like $10 or whatever I would charge you to do that, or $100. Maybe you're thinking about a completely different way of charging or way of kind of sharing the value relationship with the end user in, in this model, if you were actually kind of solving these pain points differently? Yeah, well, I think um, so. So most customers in business banking don't really value paying transaction fees. Um, they they see it like a utility. So I think um, as you do this integration, you're going to have to find ways to add value in the process that people actually um, are willing to pay for. Um, and those sorts of things will be maybe risk-based transactions um, scoring. So, you know, so um, if you're paying a new supplier, a new account number, bank hasn't seen it before, um, it would inform the person paying, hey, actually, this could be a high-risk transaction. Do you want to double-check the details? Um, and so they might pay for that sort of service as opposed to um, you know, just processing my file or payroll. Um, uh, the other things uh, banks could probably do value-added services on is, is account, bank account verification, um, load balance notifications, um, notifications of incoming payments. Um, you know, it's 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 all about the value-add sort of things that other banks aren't doing that people will find useful, provided they provide value in the um, business. So if you're able to streamline a process or um, remove number of steps or mean that there's less operational people um, just doing non-value-added services in you know, the accounts payable and accounts receivables teams, um, then I think you can provide, um, you can charge more. No, it totally makes sense. And it's actually weird. I sometimes think about this, like in, in some ways, one of the biggest trends in business last, you know, 30, 40 years has always been around like uh, business process outsourcing. So even if you think about the origin of kind of credit cards and what the trade to the merchant was, it was really about, well, why would you as a department store run your own private credit facility for customers, right? Let's outsource that to, to the card networks. And so that that deal made sense, right? And it still seems like there's a lot of things that businesses do when it comes to payables and receivables that really are like operational tasks that probably should be off their balance sheet, so to speak, right? That the bank or something that could or should be doing for them for a fee. And it, you know, they spend their time what they're good at. Yeah, you, you could almost build a business around just accounts payable, account receivable, and just offloading um, those manual tasks to someone who's a, a, a better service provider. And are also aware of the tricks of the trade around, you know, payment terms and how to detect a fake invoice and um, and just deal with disputes and chargebacks and that sort of stuff. Because for most businesses, this stuff is just... Um, just annoying like the stuff they have to do, um, but it's not actually helping them grow or build their business. Um, and so they're probably keen to outsource it. But if they could be 
because and they probably can't because of the controls that they need to have around making sure that their um, you know, bank accounts are secure and the, the money you know goes to the right place. But um, yeah, and and I think you know if if you think about banks, that you know they, they provide a, a really valuable service of you know, utility of storing money and enabling you to transact wherever you want to be. But traditionally, the banks haven't quite evolved to. Um, going beyond, you know, just using your card anywhere you want um, to be able to buy and um, stuff. Um, you now need to effectively do the same with your bank account for businesses to say, well, you can use your bank account to effectively either receive or pay money from wherever, whichever systems you want. Um, and that's going to take some time. I think open banking will help this trend. So certainly in the Europe um, and the UK, the third-party right APIs will be more useful for corporates. Um, I don't know if in the US or Canada they're looking at that. I know Australia they've got consumer data right, which is the read APIs for bank account information, which is useful. But I think once you have standardized right APIs, then the bank effectively goes, you know what, we can we can do better deals with how we'll integrate with into a lot more different uh, third party vendors. Um, and then the question is, well, how do you charge for that? Um, but if, if you've got better value-added services around that, then you might be able to, you know, charge, so give you away your transactions for a very low margin, um, but then sell the value-added services because you have the client and have that relationship with the client. No, it to- to- totally makes sense in that. So you, you preempted me on my question about, I was just kind of curious what the first few months of consumer d- data right kind of regime had been like, but... Um, I think you answered that. So I, I guess the question for the listeners, is there a, a phase beyond that? So, I mean, in Europe, it eventually expanded. Not that obviously always had read-write. It didn't really have businesses in mind initially. And then there was some future releases that had like batch kind of transaction processing, I think more targeted at businesses. Um, but is that is there write functionality coming to Australia? Is that you know, on the books for some point? Or it just this was what it was for now? Uh, they're they're doing another review um, to see how write or read had worked and whether write would be enabled. Um, I have a um, view that the politicians will look at the UK and go, "We'll have that too," um, because that seemed to be the policy for the first one, which was, "Oh, the UK got read API, so we'll have write read ourselves." Um, I think they're doing it because. They want competition in the banking system. And if they wanted competition, I, I would actually say they're solving the wrong problem for the, they're using the wrong tool to solve that. Because what they haven't actually understood is the payment systems make account switching almost impossible uh, with things like tokenization um, and people sharing their bank account details for direct debit and um, the account details for the payroll and stuff like that. So to actually switch your transaction account, which typically in Australia doesn't cost you any money, the, the effort, you know, the manpower, you know, might be 100, 200 hours of actually calling everyone up and providing new bank account details. The effort's just not worth it in terms of savings. But for most business banks, um, customers don't switch banks very often. And uh, typically the, the customer leaves because they were very upset with the bank as opposed to they've got a better rate because the cost of change is so high. So, but I think what you'll find is now with 
you know, APIs and stuff, um, uh, it makes um, uh, split banking easier. So it's not a very common thing that happens in Australia. Typically, most businesses sort of say, here's my whole relationship I want to deal um, because the channel, you effectively have to use the bank channel to access everything. With APIs, I think you'll find that because all your controls will be in your ERP system, you can effectively have split banking. So you, you may be able to um, split your relationship up more than um, what they do here today. And and therefore, the, you know, a bank will have to effectively say, well, why are you going to use my bank account versus someone else's? And there's going to have to be those value-add services. You On that note, you raised a really good point just when we were kind of, um, you know, BSing, I guess, before I hit record here. I never really heard the analogy before, but let's play it back so it totally makes sense. So, I mean, if you think about banking in that sense as telecom, right? And so I choose the application I want to use to consume telecom, which is like an iPhone, right? Or I chose a Nexus phone. I've chosen that because it works for my life. And in your analogy now, that's really I've chosen Zero or NetSuite or whatever to run my business. And from a bank's perspective or the telco's perspective, you know, the bank is really used to, hey, you're currently dealing with Comic or whomever it is, right? You're on Comic.com. Telstra or for, I guess, us, you know, Bell or um, AT&T is not while you're making your phone call saying, just a friendly reminder, you're running, this is this call was provided by Telstra. Check out our LTE network and how fast it is. And so they're just relying on that you've chosen it because it works and it's the right package and it covers you where you live and where you work and where you drive in between. And that's, I think, a, a challenge for the banks, right? In this embedded world is just being the magic ether that's making it happen and not having the banner ad while it's happening is scary, I think, a little bit. Yeah, and I think the, the theory is that if I'm seen, I'm therefore I'm disintermediated. Um, uh, I think most people know who they bank with because they get their monthly invoice or um, bill statement which says you owe more interest or you know, with a home loan or credit card. Um, and I probably don't need to be reminded which bank they're with. Um, I think most people value reliability of service and, and being able to call or interact with their bank at the moment that it's really important for them. And so it's sort of like their the major life decisions around um, I need to borrow some money or I need to buy a house. When the customer actually contacts the bank, that experience is really good and that builds loyalty as opposed to trying to remind people that every day when I'm purchasing something that that service is provided by the bank because in those times people just don't care unless it doesn't work and then they realise who their bank is. So... Um, I, I was a bank would be more focused on reliability of service and making sure it works every time and and therefore people won't think about leaving. And then when when they do choose to purchase a new product, is making sure that's a beautiful, seamless customer experience that, you know, there's a nice person on the phone, they manage the interactions, it's a complex transaction. People need to feel um, that they're supported um, through a process that they probably wouldn't go through very often. And so I would be investing, you know, if I was in a retail bank, making sure that that process is really, really good and my customers support it because they'll remember that and they won't switch because they're fearful of going through a really horrible process with another bank. 
corporate customer is a bit different because the, the chief financial officer probably makes the decision based on the numbers. Um, but uh, they'll consider other things around risk, um, security, and the value as services and, and the, the total relationship of the business. So there's a bit more price pressure on that. But I think if you can, as I said, if you can embed your banking into the processes of that customer, um, you'll make them really sticky and they'll love you because it just streamlines their processes and then they'll effectively say, well, I'm not going to switch banks unless someone else offers what you have. Well, and on both sides of the trade, right, as they then switch business applications or add new ones or as you add support for these experiences, it creates a conversation around coming to your bank as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, in business banking, it, it's, it's a really around, you know, how do you provide the services that, because it's not around popping up your bank logo to the, tel- the, the accounts payable clerk, because they're not really going to care which bank account it is. Um, but for the, for the corporate customers, it'll be that relationship of, you know, making sure that the bank's doing everything it can to keep the business um, supported, make sure they've got the right products. And, and managing their risks, you know, you know, banks are effectively a risk business. They sell and price risk. Totally. No, totally makes sense. What's one thing that uh, might be happening in, in kind of banking and payments in the Southern Hemisphere that you think that would be a no-brainer for North Americans to learn from? Oh, um, I, I would like to see selling this. The, the Americans look at what we've done around real-time payments and um, um, uh, just electronic payments and, and be able to move money uh, without sending a customer a check. There's a couple of things. Um, when I was involved in the NPP, um, we designed this concept of pay ID, which is an alias um, to someone's account. So you could use your phone number or email address to register that against your bank account. Um, and companies are now using that for disbursements um, from a business to consumer for insurance. Or, so I'd love to see that sort of concept being more widely used in the US rather than someone getting a check and then people saying, well, how can we digitize checks? Like, going, we'll get rid of the check. Totally agree. So we're, I guess we're kind of getting up against time. I'm just curious as a fun kind of closing note in the last couple of minutes, what is, uh, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done that maybe later turned out to be a good idea? Look, I'll, I'll, actually, um, probably wasn't the smartest idea. And, and sort of in retrospect, um, when we were doing core banking finalization, we decided to build our own payments engine. Uh, not only did we do it once, we did it twice. Um, and back then, you couldn't actually buy a software as a service or a solution to do payments in a bank. And having gone through the engineering feats of trying to build these things that run it, 200 TPS and process trillions of dollars a day. These things are really hard to build. And so the pound of pain I went through to do that, my view is ever again, buy something off the shelf. But in also saying that there's not many products on the market that can actually do those sorts of things for these top tier one banks. So I'd have to say that's probably the dumbest thing I've done in a professional career, but it actually we got it to work and it's still in there and I'm quite proud of the system sits there today but that that's um but it, it ended up working really well um in the end but it, it took a lot more money and time and and so sometimes someone says oh it's um payments is like rocket science it's actually really hard when you get it wrong it's not you know we're missing a couple of data packets it's actually oh no we're missing a couple of billion dollars 
Thanks for joining me today, Dave. And thank you to everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're new to the podcast, feel free to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. If you have any questions or want to be a guest, never hesitate to email info at fispan.com or just check out fispan.com to learn more. That's F-I-S-P-A-N.com. Tune in to next time when I talk to Darmesh Mistry.